Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the LA area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. I just thought I'd go ahead and wear a Dodger face mask. Now, this is for all of you Dodger fans out there who are jonesing for a Dodger dog, a stadium, something other than staying behind the scenes. So I want to just encourage you, this is going to be over, and our Dodgers are going to win the World Series this year in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, you just kind of have to laugh every once in a while. Amen. I want to encourage you that the Lord does indeed have this, and we're going to continue to teach his word until we are able to gather together again, and then we're going to teach his word after we've gathered together again, and we're going to worship the Lord right here as we always do. You turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14. Any of you figured out these last few weeks that you face a real enemy? That there is with us and among us a real adversary, one that the Bible clearly describes as the destroyer, Apollyon, the one who is also known as Satan, the one whom we'll see tonight is Lucifer. And I am here to tell you that the coronavirus and all of the things we're going through right now are not from the Lord. They're part of the fall. They're they're part of what the enemy has managed to do in this world. And one day he's going to get his. And so if you turn to Isaiah 14, we'll pick up in verse 1 the entire chapter tonight and a study that I've entitled The Fall of Satan. Before we get there, we see a preview of the Antichrist. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to speak through his word. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray for any tonight that are struggling. God, they're they're wondering what's going to go on in their their home, how they're going to pay their mortgage. Lord, where their next meal maybe is going to come from. God, I want to pray. Uh, that you would put an end to this insidious virus. Lord, I pray that you'd grant wisdom to our leaders, uh, Lord, to get us back to work and back to some sense of normalcy. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd have mercy on us, just as this passage opens up. Lord, have mercy on your people. Uh, Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our adversary is real. And the Bible doesn't spend time talking about him because he isn't real, but because he is real. And because he is real, it would behoove us to understand exactly what his issues are and why it is that we need to be very in tune with who he is, what he does, and how he works. And so in verse 1, for the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel. If you were to look at the world around us, you would see that God has forsaken Israel. 
You would say that God is done with Israel. You would pick up what we commonly would call replacement theology. The church has simply replaced Israel. God's just done with them. But not only is that not true, the whole focus of the very last days, the time that we would call the tribulation, are really for the redemption of national Israel. And so Isaiah picks up on that theme, and he begins in these first 10 verses by describing this Antichrist or the spirit of the Antichrist, as we might call him, or Babylon, this threefold cord of evil that in the very last days will come together uh, to have a religious system, a monetary system or commercial system, and a governmental system. And probably some of you are saying, well, he's already here. The Antichrist is not here, but he is absolutely evident in our world in the system that is governed and watched over by this fallen one, Satan, that we'll see tonight. And will settle them in their own land, and the strangers will be joined with them. And they'll cling to the house of Jacob. And then the people will take them and bring them into their own place. And the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. They'll take them captive, whose captives they were, and rule over their oppressors. And it shall come to pass, and here's that wonderful phrase that we've learned to look for both in the book of Daniel and here in the book of Isaiah and throughout the New Testament as well, in the day of the Lord, as he gives rest to your sorrow and from your fear, from the hard bondage which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. And so the king of Babylon in this particular context is, is a name for, another name for, I believe is a name for the Antichrist. Because it is that ruler who in the very last days will come against the Jewish people. And, and now God is giving us a little insight through the prophet Isaiah about his plans for this one who will rise up in the very last days. Take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased. The golden city has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. And so Isaiah moves again from a near fulfillment to afar. He looks from the present time to a time that is still tonight yet future, a time when the Antichrist and his power source, the devil or Satan, will finally be defeated. And this system that, that has been in view in human history uh, from the beginning of time, really, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, if you want to take it to that place. But Satan has been around tempting mankind to do something other than worship God. So as Alex said tonight, as Pastor Alex was saying, when we say hallelujah, we mean praise the Lord. And God doesn't take that lightly. He, he desires to be praised. But mankind has shifted its praise away from the things of the Lord and onto the things of the earth, and even at time, as we will see tonight, to the God that I think maybe all of us struggle with the most, and that is the God of self. Very often, the God that sits on the throne of my heart is me. This was Satan's problem, and it is for many tonight 
our problem as well. Again, we turn to the book of Revelation for a little bit of a clue to this particular passage. In Revelation 14, there in verse 8, it reminds us uh, that Babylon has fallen, this great city. It's indeed fallen. The Lord in the very last days is going to take care of doing what Isaiah prophesied here, which is to break the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers of that wickedness. In other words, Satan's going to have his day. The Antichrist is going to have his day. The enemy for thousands of years has had his opportunity to purpose his plans, to work on you, to work on me, to work on the church, to work on this world. And he's been very effective. He's taken things that God created and used them for evil purposes, evil intent. God's the creator of all life. Satan can create nothing, but he absolutely can ruin things. And while he cannot himself create, he can take what God has created and he can use it for his purposes. And so as we're seeing in this coronavirus lockdown, we're seeing the enemy take and abuse the creation of the Lord because by him and through him were all things that were created, created. The creation itself is from the Lord. But the way it exists today is not what God created. It was subjected to the fall. And that fall was this fall. It was the fall of this one cherub that started the whole thing. Because from this fall, this cherub landed in Eden. This is the source of the temptation. This is the source of the absolute agony that has been throughout this world for millennia. Satan is the source of it. God is not the source of evil. He's not the originator of evil. Satan is. Can I tell you God's got a plan for Satan? God has a plan to remove his scepter, to take away his staff, to deal with him permanently and finitely. But that plan has not yet come to fruition. And so the enemy is still raging in our world. Verse 6, he goes on in this incredible description of the Antichrist, whose power comes through the workings of Satan himself. Verse 6, he who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. There's going to come a day in time when the world is going to suffer like it has never suffered. You think that this virus is bad. This compares in no way to what the Antichrist will pour out on this world when he finally shows his true colors during the second three and a half years, the part of the tribulation that we call the Great Tribulation, when he finally unveils who he really is. We'll be praying for things like coronavirus if we're here, which we as the church will not be here. But those who are here would pray for something like coronavirus over what's going to be going on. He ruled the nations with anger. 
is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is finally at rest and they break into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you, the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. In other words, the Antichrist is going to be so complete in the way he torments the world that once he's taken down, the world is actually going to finally rejoice or begin to do so. And here comes one of the most interesting passages in the entire book of Isaiah. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth that is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. And they all speak and say to you, Have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? You see, the world one day is going to shudder in fear as the Antichrist rises, as he rules and reigns over this earth, as he brings this incredible devastation, famine, pestilence, and the sword, just as Jesus said in Matthew 24. Those things that will happen in the very last days, we're not talking about today, we're talking about the very last days, which might not be too many days from tonight. But when they come, and the man of sin is revealed, as he called in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, as his staff of wickedness is revealed, as his boss's plans come into view, Satan's plans, he is going to unveil a time of wickedness on the earth that we have never seen. And they're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, And so this is a time when the Lord is going to come again. He's already come once. He is coming again. But he's not coming to give his life again. When he said to Telestai, it is finished. It's true. It's finished. The plan of salvation is complete. But Jesus is coming again. The next time he comes, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's coming to rule and reign. He's coming with the staff of righteousness. And he's coming with the express purpose of defeating finally, once and for all, sin. Ending its reign. Taking care of the Antichrist and Satan himself. And concerning our gathering together with him, we ask you not to be so soon shaken in your mind or troubled, either by spirit or by the word or by letter, as if it were from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Unless an apostasy, unless a turning away from the Lord. And I have wondered if this time that we've been going through isn't an opportunity for the world to take stock and look to see where they are in God's plan. Because I can tell you that much of the church has already fallen away. We live in a day and time, one could almost say that our nation is now post-Christian as Europe is. We no longer lean on the truth of God's word. We've taken it so lightly that we don't delight in the law of the Lord any longer. We have substituted instead our own gods. 
the God of materialism, the God of sexual pleasure, the God of drugs, the God of alcohol, the God of power and passion and possession, the God of position. Maybe we're not that far from these days. And then the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. When the Antichrist finally shows his true colors, there will be a temple built on the Temple Mount, which there is not one tonight. But there will be. And he will demand eventually to be worshipped in it. He will set himself up as God. He's also known as the beast, Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. For the sake of time, you can read the whole passage yourself. But focusing in on these seven heads and ten horns, the ten crowns, the blasphemous name, the beast, which was like the vision of Daniel, a leopard, feet of a bear, mouth like a lion. And all the world marveled at the end of verse 3 and followed the beast so that they worshiped the dragon. The dragon is not the beast. The dragon is the beast's boss. The dragon is the guy behind the scenes pulling the strings, the puppet master, the one who's making sure that the beast does what he wants, who gave authority to the beast. Notice it's clear that they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. And he has given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, three and a half years. Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, divided wonderfully into two parts. The first three and a half years, the Antichrist will rise as a world ruler, as a leader. Some would say there are people on the face of the earth right now that are showing themselves very much to be in the running. Got a text today from fellow pastors that, you know, it's looking a whole lot like Emmanuel Macron, a French president. I, I can't tell you whether he is or is not in the running, but I can tell you this this ruler will first bring peace. He'll end a series of conflicts between Israel and Russia. He'll cause the world to take note of his ability to be an incredible politician. His government will take over the entire world, and the world will need to be ready for a global government. Where are we tonight? We're sitting in exactly that position to where governments of the world are actually considering forfeiting some of their sovereignty to solve a crisis of a virus wouldn't be too far a stretch to say what's next. 
We've gone into such great debt over this. Would it be too far for us to say we need a single monetary system in the world? Who governs it? If there's so much debt in the world, shouldn't there be one governing body? You can almost hear the drumbeat of the Antichrist rising even tonight. Finally, he's going to open his mouth and blaspheme God. He's going to put his name, his tabernacle, those who dwell in. He's going to make war against the saints who are on the earth, those that have come to faith during the time of the tribulation. Now, I can tell you that the spirit of this final world ruler has been around for a long time. Many would have qualified to at least say, well, he sure looks like the Antichrist to me. But it's going to be way worse than anything we've ever seen before. Fortunately, the Bible gives us some demonic details about the kingdom of the Antichrist so that we are not confused. I can tell you emphatically it was not, it isn't Putin. It wasn't Khrushchev. It's not Barney. It wasn't Elvis. This ruler will be amazing. And this ruler will govern the entire world. And then all hell will break loose on this earth. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 9 through 11, there was a mind of wisdom, these seven heads and seven mountains on which the woman sits. And it goes on to explain the kings and those that are involved in this. And then there was a beast which was and is not. And is himself also the eighth, but is one of the seven. And he goes to destruction. You see, the Antichrist is going to have a rule for a time. And I would encourage you, we did a very in-depth study recently in the book of Daniel, and I would encourage you to go to our website, go to ccsouthbay.org and go to our media or our sermon archives, and you can watch those. So I don't want to reiterate that again for sake of time tonight. But in Daniel chapter 7 and chapter 8, really beginning this vision of this very large statue that occurs in chapter 2, you see these world empires, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, all come up. You see Rome follow them. And Daniel speaks of, of these horns. Then he speaks of a very large horn, and he gives us a, a view of human history, if you will, especially the rulers of that time. Each of those nations had their own king. And in the last days, there will be, in essence, a king of the world. I was listening to some political wrangling today, and I, I heard thrown about a number of times that our president has somehow announced himself as king. Now, I can tell you I did not hear him say those things, nor do I believe those things. But when one person has almost unbridled power, that is generally the title that is attributed to them. In the very last days, there will be a king of the world. And his name is called the Antichrist. 
and the number of his name, the Bible says, is 666. He's going to rise. He's going to come out of this 10-nation confederacy. He's going to be born out of Europe, the remnants of the Roman Empire. Daniel said that he would be exceedingly dreadful. That there would be a power that would arise after these final world empires come and go. There would be a horn that would speak blasphemous things. This is the Antichrist. Where is he going to come from? Again, I, I would encourage you to turn your attention to our study that's just literally just a couple of months ago were completed. Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 7. But if you go through what Daniel saw, this small horn that pops up out of these four horns, the Antichrist begins to rule and reign during that time. And while Antiochus Epiphanes the fourth was certainly a type of the Antichrist. Uh, he certainly was not the Antichrist because he was and then was not and then is again. And so where is he going to come from? It appears he's going to come out of this confederation of nations that gathers around Israel. It's going to be of that leadership that will be governing the world at that time. And interestingly enough, if you look at the history, especially of the Middle East, one by one, Israel has managed peace treaties with its neighbors. It signed a peace treaty with Egypt in 1978. It signed a peace treaty with Jordan in 1993. Uh, it has a loose peace treaty uh, with its neighbors, in other words, to the south and to the east. There's only one nation that it does not have a peace treaty with, and by default that makes two because Syria and its ruler Bashar al-Assad has refused to make a peace treaty with Israel. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if perhaps out of that region finally comes a ruler, a leader, maybe just like Herod the Great was part Jewish. Maybe this leader will be part Jewish. I don't know. But I do know this. The world will marvel, finally, that someone's going to bring peace to the Middle East. That someone is going to somehow uh, begin to, to put together a coalition of nations that when it first begins, it will look like this is the answer. What the world has been unable to do which is to bring peace to this very tiny region. When you travel to Israel, one of the things that you come to understand very quickly, Israel is one of the tiniest nations on the face of the earth. You can drive through Liechtenstein in 40 minutes. You can drive from one end of Israel to the other in about four and a half hours. Surrounded by its enemies, but somehow, a man is going to rise up and he's going to bring peace to that region. He's going to do what no one's been able to do. 
When you go to the Temple Mount today, if the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem says you can't go on the Temple Mount, you can't go on the Temple Mount. He's a political pawn of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. Temple Mount is not ruled by the Jewish people. It's ruled by Jordan. Somebody's going to bring peace. That somebody may be alive on this earth today. But that somebody got his power from this very same source that tempted Eve in the garden. Notice verse 11. It is Satan himself who gives power to the Antichrist. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and the worms over you. How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Son of the morning or the morning star. Literally, the light bearer in Hebrew. How far you've fallen. We're told where Satan originated from and that he fell. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. And this is a picture, and it is truth. It's a picture of the power source behind all evil. Every war, every sickness, every disease, every inequity, every bit of jealousy and anger, every evil thing that has ever been on this planet has its origins in this one being. It doesn't mean it came from him directly, but it has its origins. He is the liar. He is the tempter. He is the destroyer. You who weakened the nations. And then we're told how. For you have said in your heart, so this is the fall of Satan, the fall of Lucifer. This is what happened. You're getting a glimpse into heaven. This is what occurred on that day. When it happened, we don't know. We know where he was when it happened, and we now know where he is now, which is here. Here's what Satan said in his heart. Here's what Lucifer, the son of the morning, this cherub, according to Ezekiel 28, said in his heart because he transfers this power to the Antichrist, but it really is the power of Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. You get in the picture? I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. And here's the result. And yet you should be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. There's five I wills here. Things that Satan said in his heart. It's the beginning of rebellion. This is the, this is the, if you want to know what Eve's issue was, it began with Satan's issue. The same temptation. It was Satan willing his will against God's will. 
And though he was a cherub, one of the cherubim, plural, if you will, the cherubim ending instead of cherub, means that he was one of many. It appears that he was the chief cherub over heaven. He's called the king of Tyre in Ezekiel 28. But we're told there that he was in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was his covering. You were perfect in beauty, Ezekiel 28, verses 13 to 15 say, perfect in wisdom, perfect in all of your ways, until the day that iniquity was found in you. Interesting word, iniquity, because it is an internal stain, which eventually is made known on the outside. It's something that's inside that manifests itself outside. Much like a bruise. We we bruise because there's been blood vessels burst underneath our skin. But it happened inside. That's the reason you see it on the outside. And so the fall of Satan himself is described here. What was Satan's problem? What, What caused this to occur in that sense? There are five defining things here. And I want you to notice what they are because these are so important for us because these things can rise up in our humanity, in our flesh. They can rise up in you. They can rise up in me. They can cause us to begin to think like Lucifer. Because in us still dwells no good thing. The good that's in us is the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness that's in us is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, in me dwells no good thing. That was his problem. That's why he would go on to say, those things which I will to do, I do not do. Those things which I will not to do, those things I do. That's why he could say that, because in him was still the capacity to think exactly like the devil thinks in this passage. Notice what he says. He said, I want my will instead of God's will. That is the very definition of rebellion. When we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saying Jesus Christ is my master. In other words, I follow his will. And when I begin to supplant his will with my will, I am following after the devil. Now you may be saying, Pastor Jeff, that's kind of harsh. No, it's just truth. When when I look at God's will, when I know what God's will is, and I say, I don't want that, I want what I want, I am following after the dictates of Satan himself. It's been a problem since the beginning. It's been a problem since the garden. Satan wanted his will instead of God's will. The second thing, the second I will, is I want to be higher than God. If God is the supreme being, if he is above everything, if his ways are above our ways and we can't know them, then to think like Satan thinks is to say, you know what? I'm a little above that. 
or at least I want to be. That was the devil's problem. That's us if we're thinking that way. If I think I, my ways are above his ways, then I am entertaining the same thought process that brought Satan to earth. The third thing, notice what it is. I want to sit on the mount of the congregation. I want to ascend to the heights. In other words, I want to be worshipped. You think maybe we got a little problem with that in our world? Actors, sports figures, politicians, people with power. That's the enemy. When I can't see the needs of my fellow man, when I can't see what God wants, when all I can see is my way or the highway, I am actually putting myself into the position of wanting to be worshipped. That's what happened to the enemy. That's how he ended up falling. He was a created being, just like you and I. A higher order, but nonetheless created. People debate this all the time, whether angels have free will. My answer to that is yes, they do. Because we're told, Scripture tells us that a third of the stars, the host of heaven, fell with Satan. They made the choice to follow him instead of God. They wanted to be worshipped, or they wanted to worship someone other than God, or something other than God. I will be the most exalted. I will be the highest. In all of the universe, I'm going to be above God in my own thinking. We have a word for that in the English language. It's called humanism. Humans first. Me first. God second, third, fourth, last maybe. But we put man at the center. And we put God on the shelf. And it's interesting to me that in the temptation of Eve in the garden, and by proxy the temptation of also Adam in the garden, what was the hook? What was the thing that drug them in? How did they end up, as Shakespeare said, as in Henry VIII, Woolsey is addressing Cromwell, saying, Oh, Cromwell, flee ambition, for by this the angels fell. What is it? What was the hook? Oh, well, God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit. Because the moment you do it, you're going to be just like him. You see, the hook that got Eve is the hook that caused Satan's fall. It was the big one of the bunch here, the climactic, climactic I will of Satan. Basically, Satan is saying, I'm going to be God. I'm going to do what the Self-Realization Fellowship teaches down there in Carlsbad. God in me. The God consciousness, the Christ consciousness. I'll become God. 
I'll be my own God. I might even be God for you if you talk to me nice. But I'm going to be my own little God. I'm going to serve myself. Here's the problem. I will is not God's plan. His will is his plan. His will was the plan for his own son, Jesus. Do you think it's the plan for us? You see, man through disobedience and our desire to be like God also fell from the image of God. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Rome in chapter 5. He said, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that death passed unto all men for all have sinned. That's what happened. I started to have eye disease. I looked at this passage and said, you know, well, maybe I can be God. So if you're looking around the world to, to try and find God, you're not going to see a perfect representation of him anywhere. Not in any pastor, not in any church, not in any social program. Not that people can't do good things, but we are all polluted by sin. We have all sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone has turned unto his own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. And so Satan says, well, you know, we can fix that. We'll just change who's in charge. I'll be like God now. See, so when I look around the world, the reason I see violence is I will. The reason I see hatred, I will. The reason I see racism, I will. The reason I see avarice, the reason I see greed, the reason I see all these things all have their root cause, and I want to do things my own way. I want to please me. That is not the way God intended us to live on this earth. Why is that important? Because what we're seeing in our world is man in his fallen state. So what's wrong with this world cannot be fixed by man. It can only be fixed by God. That is why new birth is absolutely necessary. Unless a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. That's the truth. Why? Because we all have the I wills in us. And we need to get those out. We need to be transformed into the image. We need to see beholding the glory of the Lord, as the apostle Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 3, so that I am changed from glory to glory into the image of God. That's what has to happen. That's why it says, how far you have fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning. The moment he said, I'm going to be my own God, straight to earth, straight to the dirt. And so in that sense, when Satan fell, he became the epitome of what people in the flesh will become. If I let my flesh run rampant, I could be exactly like Satan. Now you're saying, well, that's kind of bad, Jeff. 
That's why scripture is very clear that in me dwells no good thing. That is my flesh. That's what Paul wrote there in Romans 7. He said that in me, in my flesh, there's just this I will disease. You see, God's purpose for you tonight is to get rid of the I wills and put back the his will be done in your life. That comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it comes no other way. If you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you are doomed to seek after your own will. That's what you'll do. God created his image in us, and Satan said, I'm going to exalt myself. And those plans have worked. Those plans are still working tonight, but they're not going to work forever. Let's finish this chapter. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Man, I can't wait until this happens. I can't, I, you know, I've talked about it previously. I hope Jesus is selling seats when he throws Satan into the pit. I want to be close. I want to look into the pit and go, that him? Is that the one that gave me all that trouble? Is that the one who tested and tempted me my entire life? You see, the coronavirus is not from Wuhan. It's from Satan. Amen? That's where it came from. People got it all wrong. They're talking about, oh, it came from, it didn't come from China. It came from the devil. It came from hell. That's where it came from. But one day we're going to see Satan and we're going to go, is that the guy? Is that the one who started this whole rebellion thing? Look at him now. Verse 17, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities who did not open the house of his prisoners, all the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone to his own house. But you, Satan, you're cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like a garment of those who are slain, thrust through with the sword, who stone, go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. Oh, Satan's going to get his one day. Right now, he's still very much alive and well. And you better be aware. Because if you think he's done, he's not only not done, he hasn't done his worst work yet. You're going to be just like a man whose coat was taken in battle and fallen and trodden under feet. That's what Satan's end will be. Verse 20. You'll not be joined to them in burial because you've destroyed your land and slain your people. You brood of evil doers shall even be named. Prepare for the slaughter of his children. Satan's got kids. Great white throne judgment is not a place you want to be because that judgment is for eternity and it's for one group of people 
and that's Satan's kids. It's for the damned. It's for the lost. There is no turning back from that judgment. Because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of this world with cities. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and the remnant and the offspring and posterity, says the Lord. One day God's simply going to take care of this himself. And I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely I have thought it, and so it shall come to pass as I have purposed it, so it shall stand. Anybody want to say hallelujah to that one? What God says, God does. What God has purposed, he is he, it is incumbent upon him to do what he said he was going to do. And in this case, that's to take care of Satan. That's what he's going to do. I've sworn it. That's why Daniel could say, this prophecy is certain. Surely as I have thought it, God is saying, the moment it came into my mind, it's done, it's true. Satan one day is going to get his. The plans of God cannot be altered. Verse 25, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains tread him underfoot and his yoke shall be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulders. In other words, God's going to take all the burdens, every burden that Satan has placed on this world, that mm-mm, not, that one's gone too. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. Where the Lord has purposed it, who can annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? Amen? What a promise. El Shaddai has said, I promise to take care of the enemy of your souls. And he will. That's what he's going to do. But in the meantime, church, we need to be very, very, very careful. We need to be really careful about what we entertain, how we live our lives. If you're watching that vulgar TV show called Lucifer, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you offer one second of your time to a show that glorifies, tries to make nice the enemy of my soul? Refuse to watch that garbage. It's trash. It comes from the pit of hell. Let me be clear. It's not for anyone, much less believers. because one day his reign is going to be over. So let's not give him any more due than he is due. He's powerful. He wreaks havoc on our world. But he's not going to get to do it forever. And when he causes the Antichrist to rise and he gives power to the Antichrist, the Antichrist will have power. But he's not going to be able to do it forever. Why? 
Because this rhetorical question, the answer to it is never, no way, no how, for the Lord has purposed it. He's going to deal with it, and no one can turn it back. This chapter ends with a move back to the present. In the year that King Ahaz died, this was his burden. Do not rejoice, all you Philistia, because the rod that struck you is broken. Out of the serpent's roots will come for the viper. Its offspring will be a fiery serpent. Isaiah saw the destruction that that Israel was going to endure. He, He saw the Assyrians. He saw the Babylonians. But what he was saying to them was, in verse 30, the firstborn of the poor will feed and the needy will lie down in safety and I will kill your roots with famine, slay your remnant. He says, man, there's hard times that are going to come. All you Philistia are dissolved for smoke will come from the north and no one will be alone in his appointed time. What will they answer, the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. No no matter what you see, right now you're probably going, we're never going to be able to leave our homes again. This is going to last forever. No, it's not. The Lord has got this. If he can take care of national Israel and bring them back into the land, he can absolutely take care of a virus. What the enemy has obviously meant for evil, God can even use this for good, exactly what Genesis 50 says. He can turn this into a Romans 8.28 moment for you, for me. God is going to found, he's going to prosper Zion. The ultimate bottom line in all of this and what Isaiah was seeing, God was for Israel. They're still here. One of the great moments of the Second World War, Winston Churchill is touring Auschwitz. And once he saw the sign over the gate that enters into the prison camp, train tracks heading towards the crematoriums. Above it says, Arbeit macht frei. Work sets you free in German. He said, if ever there was a reason for people to believe in God, all one needs to do is look at the Jewish people, that there's any left. If God can preserve a remnant of Israel, he can preserve you. But you have to give your life to him. And I pray that you do that. There's pastors online that can pray with you right now. But you can invite Christ into your heart right where you're at. Just simply say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I'm inviting you to come into my life to be my Savior, my Lord. Forgive my sin. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Give your life to Christ tonight. Switch teams. Join the winning team. 
join Team Jesus. Because one day, we're going to have a victory celebration like nothing the universe has ever seen. When the enemy is cast into the pit, when we get to lift our hands and say, it is finished, his reign is over, you want to be part of that crowd that's there to witness that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time tonight, and we pray, Lord Jesus, for salvation to come to those that do not know you. Lord, I pray for anyone that's watching anywhere in the world right now. God, would you speak your truth into their life? Would they know your amazing gospel, that you, Jesus, came into this world, that the world through you might be saved? You are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by you. And so would that truth be made known right now? Spirit, seal that in the hearts of people listening. For those of us who know you and love you, Lord, we look forward to that day when you take your church home. We look forward to that day when we return with you to rule and reign. And in the time that we have left, would we never let our will overcome your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.